Thank you, Ron. I always enjoy learning new songs, particularly Ron's songs. Uh, let's turn now to Exodus. Uh, we're going to learn about the frogs and the lice and the other critters here. Uh, we're going to, of course, begin in five. That's the beginning of the plagues. But uh, turn to chapter one for the moment. I'm just going to read a small section to get it started. That kind of set the scene. Um, but uh, before we get into it, let me just uh, ask you a question. How many people like last-minute heroics? Yeah, only a few, really. Not many sports fans in the audience, I guess. Um, if, you're, if you're a football fan, you know, your team is down by six. Tom's grinning. We watched the, uh, we watched the Super Bowl together uh, this last January. You're down by six. There's uh, ten seconds left on the clock. No more timeouts. And there's a deep pass, and uh, your, your uh, end catches it and runs into the end zone. Uh, as time runs out, you kick the extra point and win the game. Baseball. Bottom of the ninth. Two out. You're down by three. Base is loaded. Yeah, there it goes. Out of the park. Win by one run. Basketball. The classic ending. You know, you're down by two points. The time is literally running out. The guy has the ball, he shoots, and the buzzer goes off as the ball is in the air and drops through for a three-pointer. Last-minute heroics. Uh, of course, we're familiar with it, too, in, uh, in, in battles. Uh, in the Civil War, uh, the, the heroes for the North were the guys that held Little Round Top when it looked like all was lost. Of course, Lee, if you're a Southerner, uh, we could uh, give all kind of examples where he turned a, a route into a victory, beginning with Chancellorsville and all through the Civil War. Now, uh, there are some other examples, maybe not quite so heroic, but they're definitely last minute. Maybe there's somebody in this room, young person in school, and, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that famous last minute uh, heroism of having been assigned to read a book in English. Oh, you're grinning already. Okay, you know where I'm going with this. You know, and you got the big test at the end of the semester or the end of the year on that book. Never read a page of it, you know. And then the day before the test, you uh, skim the book, maybe go out and get a copy of Cliff Notes, and the next day you ace the exam. And you are so cool, you know. All these other guys wasted a whole semester and you did it at the last minute or uh you know like i said it's not i don't know how heroic this is but the guy that uh, manages to get a postmark of 11.59 on his income tax on uh, the last filing date well some of that's heroic and some isn't but it's definitely last minute the reason i bring those examples up is because many people take that approach with god you know that you talk to people about their relationship with God, and, um, and I've had people tell me this. Say, I'm, I'm not going to worry about that right now. I'm going to deal with that later. You know? And they put God off. And they put God off. And they keep putting him off. You know? I'm going to deal with that later. And you begin to get the idea that they have this picture of, you know, like the three-pointer at the buzzer. You know? Uh, they're going to be on their deathbed, 
and they got one second to go. And then they cry out to God, Lord, save me, you know. That way they can live their whole life of sinning and, and uh, living it up and, and keeping God out of their life until the very last second. On my deathbed, I'll accept the Lord, you know. There are three problems with that approach. The first one is that not everybody's guaranteed a deathbed. And even if you do have one, you may not be conscious. Actually, uh, the second point is probably uh, worse than that because coming to God requires genuine sorrow for sin. That's not an easy thing to get instantly. <laughs> and if you spend a lifetime avoiding sorrow for your sin, you know it gets awfully hard to do it later in life. There's an um, interesting verse in Hebrews talking about Esau. Esau is the guy that sold away his birthright for a bowl of soup, right? You know the guy. And he's the example of someone who, when it comes to spiritual things, eh, they're just not that important to him. He's, he's the man of the flesh, you know. The guy, he was a hunter, you know. Had antlers all over his uh, living room, you know, that kind of guy. And when it came to God, I mean, you know, that's just, that's not for me, you know. And so he sold away his birthright for a bowl of pottage. Uh, this is what Hebrew says about him after he did that. It says, you know that afterwards when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for, listen to this, he found no place for repentance, even though he sought it diligently with tears. Isn't that interesting? Esau wanted to repent. He recognized what he had done was wrong. And, he, and the guy literally cried. You ever see anybody do that? You know, they want to be sorry, but they can't be. <laughs> and it's, it's an interesting phrase. He couldn't find repentance. It's like it was out there somewhere, and he was looking for it, but his heart was so hard he couldn't find it. What a scary place to be, huh? To want to repent, and you can't. Uh, it still is the number one cause of death, a heart attack. And the number one cause of a heart attack is hardening of the arteries, arteriosclerosis. The number one cause of eternal death is hardening of the heart. More people die of that than anything else eternally. Take good care of your heart. I don't mean the physical one. I mean the one that God talks to, your, your spirit, you, the part that makes you, you. Because we can shut off the voice of God and literally harden it. You know? The New Testament has a lot to say about hardening our hearts. God talks about those in uh, the book of 1 Timothy who he says, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Wow, isn't that graphic? You ever, you ever burned your, your fingers or your hand on a hot iron or a stove or something? You know, bad enough so that a few days later you touch, you can't even feel it. That's what he's talking about. We can, we can sear our conscience. You're supposed to sear steaks. You know, you get a steak, you throw it on the grill when it's real hot and it sears it. We can do that to our conscience. And we stop feeling. And we can't hear God anymore. That's a scary place to be. You don't want to be there. Listen to what God says in Ephesians. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, 
having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. And listen to this, who being past feeling, their past feeling, having given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, they stopped feeling guilty a long time ago. You know, when they were younger and they first did that sin, it bothered them. Their conscience was still tender. They heard the voice of God. Maybe they stopped because of that, you know. But he's saying their past feeling, no, they, they can't feel conviction of sin anymore. They're past feeling that. Okay, well, in case you haven't gathered, we're going to be looking at a pharaoh this morning. Okay, hardened heart. And he's there as an example for us. We said before, when you study the Bible, there are a lot of things you can look for in a passage, a promise to claim, a sin to forsake, an example to follow, or an example to avoid, or something new about the Lord. Well, in the plague section, we have two examples. One is an example to avoid, and another is an example to follow. The example to follow being, of course, Moses. I'd like to do him this week, but we're going to start off with the bad news first. So we're going to look at Pharaoh this week, because God puts him there as an example to us, and as a warning as an example to avoid in hardening our hearts. Because there's a third point that uh, makes putting God off dangerous, and that is that we need to be careful because God's not going to permit us to play those kind of games with him. You know, it amazes me how people think, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and mess around my whole life, and then in the last minute, I'm going to get saved, you know? You can't do that kind of stuff with God. You know what the Bible says? It says, God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And you spend a lifetime of hardening your heart and shutting God out, then you're probably going to go to your grave that way. God God will see to it. You you may very well reach a point to where you keep shutting God off and God says, oh, okay, and he'll seal your decision. And that's what we see in the case of uh, Pharaoh. Okay, so uh, right now at the lab where I work out in Livermore, they uh, have a, uh, <clears throat> a traveling uh, checkup for the heart called Healthy Heart. And we're getting emails. You know, it's going to be in your building next week at this time, you know, encouraging people to go in and get uh, cholesterol tests and all that kind of stuff. Wouldn't it be nice if we could wheel something in here and check our hearts, you know, in our relationship with God? We can do a little checkup right now. Just in the quietness of your own heart right now, think about this. And, we, and, and you can check on the health of your own heart this way. When was the last time you were truly sorry about something that you said or did to someone else? Don't, you know, don't say anything. Don't answer. Just think about it. And I don't mean like, you know, in the quietness of your heart, you were sorry, nothing happened. I mean, so much that you were moved to say something to that person and apologize. Think about it. It's a good measure of how tender your heart is. And if it's been a long time, either number one, you're sinless, or number two, you've got a hard heart. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to uh, look now at uh, Pharaoh. And it's what I love the Word of God. We can be a fly on the wall anywhere. Think about it. So far in the Old Testament, we've been a fly on the wall in tents and out in fields, even in palaces, overhearing, eavesdropping on conversations. And we hear things that people say, and God even tells us sometimes what they're thinking in their heart. Isn't that great? And we have an insight into 
how people act and how they think and and why they do things and at the same time we're actually looking inside our own hearts and learning lessons and so uh we're going to actually hear the king of egypt probably the most powerful man in the world what he really said behind closed doors isn't that great you're not going to find these conversations recorded in hieroglyphics on walls okay but they're recorded here in god's word and it's for our good so before we get into chapter five which is where the plagues begin i had you turn here to chapter one just to set the scene and here again we're going to have some good news and then we're going to have some bad news and you'll see what i mean by that when we look at it verse seven but the children of israel were fruitful and increased abundantly multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty and the land was filled with them here they are in egypt and this is good news isn't this great god had promised them a whole country that's a pretty big area you know the nation of israel he, he promised them all this land and at the time when he promised it he just had one guy abraham and his family that's an awful lot of uh living room for one guy and so god over the hundreds of years literally here has kind of used egypt as uh, uh, a hotbed to increase the number of people so now there are lots of them so they're ready now to go in and take over that land that's cool isn't it you know kind of like he used egypt as a uh where's the place they put chicks in incubator yeah uh now the bad news verse 8 now there arose a new king over egypt who did not know joseph and he said to his people look the people of the children of israel are more and mightier than we come let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. Okay, there's the bad news. So the Egyptians look on this country within a country, you know. They have this big group of people, 600,000 by the way, men so at least a couple of million people counting women and children that's a lot of people and uh this particular phrase says, hey this is cool you know uh we could turn a problem into uh, a benefit free labor and so they become slaves and uh as, as god says there it's not an easy life he's made it very hard on them so that's the situation uh it's been like that now uh, turn to chapter five for probably about a hundred years we know it's been at least 80 because moses is 80 years old now and he was born into this uh, slave situation and so there's the issue we'll simplify it god has come to the time where he is now ready to take his people out of egypt and take them into the promised land and give it to them there's one slight problem right Pharaoh's not going to want to let these guys go. You know, they've grown dependent on them. They're part of the economic system now. They're the free labor. And he's not going to want to let them go. So, that's uh, the issue at hand. And now, if you're sitting there saying, you know, I can't relate to that. I, you know, Pharaoh, most powerful man in the world, you know, that's not me. Well, there is a common issue here. Pharaoh, when he's confronted with God, the bottom line is he has something that he doesn't want to let go of. 
And that's often the case with us, isn't it? God will put his finger on something and we don't want to let go of it. So let's see how it goes. Chapter 5, and uh, there are 10 chapters in the plague. So what we're going to do, we're just going to highlight here and there the passages that will help us understand Pharaoh in the next week, Moses. So chapter 5, verse 1. This is the first encounter of Pharaoh with Moses and Aaron. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. Okay, round one. Now, we need to remember who Pharaoh is here. So when he says, who is the Lord? Remember, He's saying the name of God, the Lord, Yahweh, okay? This is just a name to him. He's used to hundreds of gods, remember. That's his environment. And so here come these slaves to him, and they say, we want to go worship our God. Well, Pharaoh's thinking, oh, oh yeah, okay. I know hundreds of those. You know, I don't know who yours is. He's not mine. And in fact, he says, I don't know him. In other words, since I don't know this God, he's nobody. You know. Almost understandable because of of where he's coming from. The interesting thing here is uh, he reacts the way a lot of people react when they're confronted with their sin or uh, challenged to change their life for God. You know what people sometimes do? They go deeper into sin. They react basically to God by saying, oh, you don't like what I'm doing? All right, I'll do it more. You know? And that's what Pharaoh does. Verse 5. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now, and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before. You shall not reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Okay, I don't know how many of you here have made uh, bricks from scratch. I tend to go buy mine down at Home Depot somewhere. But... uh, It's not a fun task, and in these days, um, straw was essential to making bricks. It held the stuff together. It's kind of like rebar in concrete, and also it kept it from sticking to the molds. What would happen, they would dry, and if there was no straw in it, you could get get the bricks out, and they would break. They would crumble, and so you'd have to throw that brick away. So now the, the, the poor Israelites are having to go all over the land foraging for stubble and straw, which they had just, you know, delivered to them before by the Egyptians. So things are getting worse here instead of better. We'll talk about the consequences with Moses and all the people next week. We're focusing on Pharaoh this week. The bottom line is, instead of 
uh, softening and responding to God. Notice, by the way, the simple request. They said, we just want to go three days into the world. That's not, it's not a big deal. You know, just a weekend plus a holiday, you know, and go sacrifice to our God. God made it easy for him on this first round. But he wanted to show what a tough guy he was. Okay. Uh, chapter uh, 7 now. God helps him out a little bit with a miracle. And really, God, you'll see throughout this, God is so patient. And he is so accommodating with Pharaoh, as he is with most people. He is so gracious with people and so patient. Um, he doesn't have to help Pharaoh, but he does. By the way, notice uh, that God uses people to talk to Pharaoh. That's very important. You know? Uh, people want a sign from heaven. You know? you know what God uses today to get through to people? This book. Just a book. But it's the Word of God. And He'll use people, believers, with this book to speak to people, just like he did then. So if you don't know the Lord, that's what he's going to use. Stop waiting for the miracle, okay? If you're a believer, be encouraged, okay? He uses just ordinary folks like you and me. Moses was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't anybody special. Okay, well, chapter 7, verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, when, spe- when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Okay, God gives Pharaoh some evidence here that Moses and Aaron are speaking for him. And what does Pharaoh do? You know his response is? This fits in the category we have today. He explains it away by having his magicians duplicated. Now, they're magicians, remember. I don't know what trick they used. I do know the magicians today pull rabbits out of hats and, and pigeons out of their sleeves as if they magically appeared out of thin air. They don't. It just looks that way. So we don't know exactly what the magicians did here, but God, God got the better of them in the end by swallowing up their rods. But uh, the interesting thing is, we're looking at Pharaoh, remember. Pharaoh wanted to explain away the evidence. Isn't that interesting? You know, if he can explain it away, then he doesn't have to worry about it. Right? If God is speaking to me, or at least it, it seems like God is trying to get through to me, if I can kind of explain it away, I don't have to worry about it. You know? And the interesting thing is, just like Pharaoh turned to the experts, it's that way today. People turn to the experts to explain away God. And they're more than happy to cooperate. For example, uh, this is one of the things people want to get rid of right away. Wow. 
like Mark Twain used to say, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things in the Bible that I do understand that bother me. And that's the way it is with a lot of people. It's the things they understand they don't like. And so they look for somebody to explain it away. And so you get the experts to say, oh, yeah, written by man, full of errors. You know, it's thousands of years old. You can't trust it. It's just a bunch of myths. You know what? Boy, people love to hear that. That's what they want to hear. Yeah, good. All right. You know, I can ignore that thing. Uh, But there are other testimonies of God that he has left beside his word. For example, creation. Well, we know how would they get rid of uh, the hand of God in creation, right? It's all just random processes. People love to hear that. Oh, good. Don't have to worry about God anymore. You know, it just happened accidentally. People do that with their consciences. Boy, uh, Freud was uh, was good at that. You know, guilt is no longer a, a terrible thing. It's a it's a bad thing, and then you, you need to get rid of it. But it's fake. It you you have guilt because of the way your parents raised you, the way your teacher uh, was mean to you, your environment, your friends. Guilt is is just in your head. You need to get rid of it. Whew, good. Ah, don't have to feel guilty anymore. Isn't that good? Not one by one, you see. Like Pharaoh, we get rid of the voice of God. We turn to the experts and they say, you're right, don't have to worry about it. It's not real. Even when God uses circumstances, and of course, circumstances are sometimes trustworthy. But I was thinking of this. Um, I knew a, a fellow who almost got killed because of something uh, practice he was involved in and he came and he said you know i think the lord's trying to speak to me i need to stop that within a week he'd found another explanation for it and totally forgot that god might have been speaking to him i remember the uh, loma prieta earthquake it was interesting watching the news programs there were a few uh, bold well-meaning Christians who would say, you know, God is trying to say something to us here. And did they ever get laughed down? The vast majority of the experts said, well, look, you know, <clears throat> uh, this earthquake was way overdue. You look at the odds and the probabilities, and it's clearly just chance. It finally happened. You know, but we're going to uh, pull together, <clears throat> we're going to overcome this, and we're going to recover, you know? Whatever it takes, let's get God out of here so I don't have to think about it. So Pharaoh, who's more than happy, one wonders if he didn't see the sleight of hand, you know, when the sorcerers did their trick with the uh, serpents. But that's okay. You know, he wants to believe that uh, this is not God. Okay, Uh, we're about to actually get into the real plagues now, the first one where the Nile turns to blood. But just to give ourselves a breath of fresh air here in talking about the plagues, because Pharaoh's going to get worse here as we go on. First of all, we need to stand back and see what God is doing here. Why these, these plagues and why 10 of them, you know? You think about it, this, this is an unusual occurrence in the history of uh, mankind. These huge interventions that are clearly miracles that God reveals himself through. We know that, for example, later, uh, hundreds of years later, Gideon, one of the judges, uh, God raises him up 
I think it's the Philistines or the uh, Amalekites, one of them is oppressing the, the Jews. And uh, an angel of the Lord comes again and he says, okay, now I'm going to raise you up and you're going to deliver your people. And Gideon says this, this interesting question. He says, <clears throat> if the Lord is with us, where are all the miracles that he did way back in Egypt and the Red Sea and all that? We learn from that that this is not regular behavior on the part of God, these kind of miracles. It had been a long time since God had done something like that. He prefers us to simply believe him at his word. Okay? I'm like that too, aren't you? Wouldn't you rather people take your word for something? Then they say, ah, prove it. You know? God's like that. Well, so this exceptional period of miracles here, God was doing many things. First of all, probably most important, he says it over and over again through these 10 chapters. He's doing it to reveal himself. He says that they may know that I am the Lord. Number one. Secondly, he, he's doing more than one. If he'd done one, uh, the Egyptians would see him as the god of something. That's what they're used to. You know, they have the god of the sun, uh, the god of the river, you know, the god of death, the god of uh, good crops. You know, so he's going to show he's lord of all because he, he he touches about every area in Egyptian life. It's also a judgment of God on the land of Egypt. They're idolatrous. And they've been this way for a thousand years and God is judging them. Uh, another thing God's going to accomplish here, this is kind of neat. Uh, when, it, when it's time to leave, it's going to be, the, the Egyptians are going to be so glad to get rid of the, the Israelites that the Israelites are going to ask their neighbors for gold and silver and the neighbors are going to go, here, take it, you know, whatever. Just go. And God says, literally, the Israelites are going to loot or plunder Egypt. Here they are, a bunch of slaves. They never lifted a spear. And they're looting probably the most powerful country in the world free of charge because of the hand of God. You see, God did it. Another thing God is accomplishing here is he's preparing his people for the wilderness and the, and the future with him. He's showing them that they can trust him that he can do great things. Uh, another, th and this isn't the end of it, but finally, he's doing this so that some will turn to him and believe in him. So we have proof of that and the testimony of Rahab. Here's this dear woman, uh, 40 years later after the plagues, in the town of Jericho, 250 miles away. 40 years later, 250 miles away, Listen to her testimony. Rahab says, I know, she's speaking to the spies when they come into Jericho, the Israelite spies. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Zihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, she's saying his name here, the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Isn't that good? And we don't know how many other Rahabs there were at this time. But certainly God accomplished that too in bringing uh, people to himself.
Okay, plague number one. Chapter 7, verse 20. And you're familiar with it here. Moses has turned the Nile to blood. So they don't have any fresh water in their river anymore. In verse 20, And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. Wow. Once again, he calls on his magicians. And it would have been interesting to see how they did this. Uh, It's not hard to change uh, andy could probably tell you how to do this you know take some water add something to it and, and uh, turn it blood like but whatever pharaoh wanted to be able to see this and so he he took their uh, their word for it <clears throat> what's interesting is this little uh detail god adds i love it when god puts in little details that are not necessary in his word did you catch that <clears throat> he tells us what pharaoh does it says pharaoh turned and went into his house neither was his heart moved by this and normally god's not including that level of detail in here he's telling this because you you really get the scene you know here here's this incredible miracle can you imagine the whole nile river flowing blood wow this is god speaking and pharaoh he sees the thing he uh, then he watches his magicians with his glass of water or whatever they're doing you know and he just kind of okay you know and he turns goes into his house and closes the door you know wow he's hardening his heart okay Uh, next plague number two chapter eight verse eight this is the frogs frogs all over the land Everywhere you go, there's frogs. They get in the house. Can you imagine? (laughs) You can't walk anywhere without stepping on a frog. It's that bad. Verse 8. We're looking at Pharaoh, remember. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. This is interesting. At first glance, it sounds like we have a repentant man on our hands. Right? What uh, he's sorry about, he's sorry about the frogs. (laughs) He wants to get rid of the frogs. And that's often the way it is, isn't it? You know? God does something in our life and we don't like it. And there may be something that God is trying to bring out, some kind of sin and It's not the sin we're sorry for, it's the consequences. Well, he's sorry about the frogs. And literally, when he says, I will let the people go, he knows he's not going to do that. You know, this is kind of like, let's make a deal, you know. How do I know that? Well, verse 15. He pleads with Moses and Aaron. Moses prays. God removes the frogs. 
But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Wow. This guy's playing with fire. This is interesting. When he saw there was relief. Isn't that interesting? You know? When, When the pressure's on, it's amazing. When things get difficult, Lord, help me, right? (laughs) And then the sun comes out, the rain stops, you know, things get better, the bills get paid, I get well, you know, I find a girlfriend, whatever. And somehow I I forget what the Lord did, you know, and maybe that promise that I made. There's there's a word for this, it's called a foxhole prayer. You ever heard that before? Comes from the First and Second World War. Uh, soldiers used to say there's no such as an, such thing as an atheist in a foxhole you know it's a pretty bad place and, and guys uh they they'd see death staring him in the face and they would pray they'd say god just get me through this get me out of this war alive and i'll serve you for the rest of my life i'll give my life to you that's the foxhole prayer and it's prayed today not necessarily in a foxhole but in a tight situation you know people get get uh in a real tough bind and they and they cry they say lord help me just help me and i promise this time i'll really i'll seek you out until i find you you know i'll trust jesus i'll get saved whatever i'll just do it help me and then they 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 forget you know it's amazing that god doesn't immediately punish people for breaking promises to him you know because he doesn't lie he doesn't do that kind of stuff when god says it he does it every time joshua says that at the end of his life as he looks back and he reminds the Israelites, this is not one good word of the lord has failed you know what's more amazing is that he knows beforehand the promise is going to be broken and still often he helps people well the bottom line is pharaoh it says very plainly hardened his heart and this guy is seeing stuff you and I have never seen. I mean, miracles that are just undeniable. <clears throat> Next, number three, the lice, chapter 8, verse 18. The land and, uh, unfortunately, the people are covered with lice. Not a pleasant scene. The interesting thing is in verse 18, the... <laughs> The magicians are out of it from here on out now, folks. They could, uh, they could fake the blood. And uh, the interesting thing is it says that they were able to do something with the frogs, too. I'm not surprised, given the number of frogs in the land. You know? Uh, somehow they did something where there probably weren't any frogs, you know? And it's not hard to kind of arrange to have them suddenly appear if you've got some accomplices, you know? We don't know how they did it but uh pharaoh wanted to see it he was taking it the interesting thing about the plagues by the way is uh they were able to simulate two of them but the bottom line is they weren't able to stop any of them is that interesting and let me tell you people wanted relief and they couldn't do a thing about it it wasn't until pharaoh called in uh moses and aaron and uh, they called on god and he stopped it that they were brought to an end So uh, they've run out of power. Verse 18, now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. That's interesting. You wonder, you know, 
um, since everybody was covered with lice, did they get some guy and fumigate him? Or did they get, a, they get an Israelite who didn't have lice, you know, and have him stand there and, you know, okay, poof, you know, and the guy should start scratching or something, you know, as evidence. Whatever they did, this is something they couldn't fake because the guy who doesn't have the lice is going to know when he has them and when he doesn't. This is interesting. Listen to this, verse 19. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Wow. Isn't that interesting? So they, they've given up. They, they can't accommodate Pharaoh anymore. And they've acknowledged this is, this is the work of God. So now, not just Moses and Aaron, but the unbelieving sorcerers are telling Pharaoh, hey, God is trying to stop, uh, talk to you. Whoa. But it says, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had said. Wow. You wonder how long he's going to be able to keep doing this, huh? You know? The patience of God is incredible. Okay, next, uh, the flies. But I want to notice, but I want you to notice, we use the word plagues and we think all these terrible things. You know, God is really being gracious with these things. Nobody's dead. They're uncomfortable. You know, I wouldn't like to be covered with lice and flies, flies everywhere. You know, that's not a, a pleasant thing. But he's, he's really being gracious in that he, he could have just destroyed the whole land or killed Pharaoh after the third plague. But he, he didn't. He's patient. <clears throat> okay, flies everywhere. So, again, remember, we're focusing on Pharaoh here. Verse 25. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God in the land. Did he give in? You know what he's saying? He's saying, uh, I know God wants you to go outside and, and do your feast. Why don't you just do it right here locally in Egypt? You can do it just as easily here. Let's make a deal. Compromise. Isn't that interesting? You know? Uh, God's not going to let up. Okay, all right, fine. You know, we'll fudge a little bit here and I'll kind of do what the Lord wants. Listen to Moses' response. And Moses said, it is not right to do so. For we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then they will, will they not stone us? And he's right. They, they wouldn't put up with this kind of sacrificing in their midst. They didn't do that. We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. So Moses goes out, prays. Everything sounds great until verse 32. But relief came this is the key okay the flies are all gone but pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also neither would he let the people go wow how long can he keep doing this uh i was reminded as i read this um this this little compromise that uh that uh, pharaoh offered here of you know just staying close to home here and doing it Reminded me of Lot. There's a classic passage 
of Lot. I think Michael covered it when he, uh, when he went over the life of Lot. But it, it is just, it's so like this. Listen to Lot. When he gets taken out of Sodom and planted outside before the destroying angels can level the city, they have to be out of there. And uh, the angels say, look, now they tell him, like, you, you head for the hills. Just get out of here because we can't do anything until you're out of sight. Can you imagine that? A guy holding up the judgment of God. Here's how it goes. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, that's Lot, uh, pardon me, the angel, escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. You get the picture? Then Lot said to them, please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, but I cannot escape to the mountains. Lest some evil overtake me and I die. You know, I might get a heart attack or something, you know. See, now this city is, is near enough to flee to. And it is a little one. Isn't that good? Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? I love the way God tells us this. This guy, he's whining. And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also. This is the angel. In that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar, and then... The Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And what a sight that must have been. A few verses later. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. Is that interesting? (laughs) He begs to go into this little city, you know, instead of all the way where God told him to go. And then when he sees the judgment of God, he decides, maybe I better do what God said after all, you know? And the interesting thing to me, you know what Zoar means? Little. Little. And he kept stressing that, remember? Like, it's just a little town. What's that got to do with it? It's right next to Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, it's marked for judgment. And we'll do that. You know, let's make a deal. It's just a little sin, you know. It can't mean that much to you, God. I didn't murder anybody. It's just a little tiny sin. It's Zoar, you know. Praise God, Jesus didn't do that on the cross. I'll die for the big ones, but not for the little ones. If he'd left one tiny little sin for you to take care of, you'd be in hell forever. He said on the cross, finished. We sing that hymn. Jesus paid it what? All. All. Praise God. Every one of them. And there's another important word in this little passage. I think God put it here for a reason. I don't know if you noticed it. But uh, on the flies, when God removed them, listen to what it says. It says, verse 31, And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Listen to this. Not one remained isn't that interesting why did he say that what a difference that's god can you you know it's like to get rid of a bunch of flies (laughs) every time you think you got the last one there's another one right god got rid of every right the very last fly 
Not one remained. Okay, well, Pharaoh hardened his heart. This is incredible. Number five, chapter nine, verse seven. Now we're bidding to have death, but it's livestock. And the interesting thing is God killed the livestock of the Egyptians, but he didn't touch the livestock of the Hebrews. And uh, Pharaoh wanted to make sure about that. I, I think he, he didn't believe God could do that, you know, discriminate that way. So verse seven, Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. You know, when word came back to him, picture yourself as Pharaoh. This is God. He killed all the livestock of our people and he didn't touch any of the livestock of the Jews. He's, their God is really God. Our gods can't do this stuff. You know? What does it say? But the heart of Pharaoh became hard and he did not let the people go. How hard can a person's heart get? Well, you don't see it here, but Pharaoh has just crossed an invisible line. There's no trumpets, no fanfare. You wouldn't have seen anything. He would look like the same guy, but uh, he's, he's uh, tested the patience of God one too many times. And we're going to see that in the next plague. Chapter 9, now verse 10. These are boils. Now we're getting closer to home. Everybody has boils on their bodies. And in verse 11, pardon me, verse 10, then they took ashes. This is Moses and Aaron. They took ashes from the furnaces and stood before Pharaoh and Moses scattered them toward heaven and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But, now listen, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Do you catch the difference? It doesn't say Pharaoh hardened his heart. It says the Lord hardened his heart. And God knows when that time comes. We can keep putting them off and playing games with them and saying, I don't want to listen to you right now, God. No, I got other things on my mind. I got, I got fun to have. I got to enjoy myself. You know, you keep doing that. You keep doing that. And you're in danger of crossing the line that Pharaoh crossed here. It's one thing to harden your own heart. It's another thing for God to harden it. He's judging you. He's saying, oh, you want to harden your heart? Okay, I'll help you. You don't want to be there. Because now Pharaoh is no longer a guy who can repent and turn to God. He's a guy who God is going to use to glorify himself. He's useful to God in that respect. But that's it. In the book of Hebrews, there's a passage that says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, it was today for Pharaoh when Moses and Aaron first came in and talked to him. It was today when Aaron threw down his rod and it became a serpent. It was today uh, when the uh, Nile turned to blood. It was today with the frogs and with the lice and with the flies. It was today in the livestock. Right now, it's no longer today. It's too late. If you've been putting Jesus off, 
Is it still today? Or is it too late? Think about it. Let me tell you, if it's today, don't wait another moment. Well, we have four more plagues to go, but at this point, Pharaoh's a walking dead man. What's interesting, you're going to notice, is the way he talks now. Hail comes next, chapter 9, verse 27. Hail's coming down, fire mingled with the hail. What a a terrible sight. (coughs) Killing beasts out in the field and anybody who happens to go outside. Verse 27, And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, listen to this, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. These are the words of a man who cannot repent. And it's interesting that he's all of a sudden, uh, instead of being the high and mighty Pharaoh, he's talking about things like sin and wickedness. He's known all along that that's been the issue. I don't know when, when he understood it, but it had to have been early on that he knew this was an issue about him and his people. But the interesting thing is that it's just up here. It's, it's head knowledge. It's not helpful to him now. And, and somehow I think he, saying the words, you know, uh, that might help him somehow. But it's too late. It's too late for him. Verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart. He and his servants wow what a place to be in this guy is in a vicious cycle here of deceiving god and hardening his heart okay well the locusts come next chapter 10 and uh, we'll skip ahead to verse 16 pharaoh called for moses and aaron in haste and said i have sinned against the lord your god and against you now therefore please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the lord your god that he may take away from me this death only if only he'd said that for the first plague huh from the heart but it's too late and in verse 20 the lord hardened pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of israel go we have darkness next uh verse 27 the lord hardened pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go And then finally, of course, you know the last plague, number 10, the death of the firstborn is about to come. Moses warns Pharaoh about it. Pharaoh literally gets angry and tells him to get lost. He says, the next next time you see me, you're a dead man. He's so hard now. The interesting thing here is verse 8. Moses is uh, speaking to Pharaoh and all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying get out and all the people who follow you and they did that by the way after that I will go out Moses says then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger wow now you may be reading that and you're thinking oh man is Moses ever childish he's pouting you know because uh, Pharaoh didn't do what he was supposed to do no 
There's one place, at least in the uh, Gospels, where it's recorded that Jesus was angry. It's uh, in the early in the Lord's ministry. He's in Galilee. He's in a synagogue. It's on the Sabbath. And he goes into this partic- particular synagogue, and there's a man there with a withered hand. And the people in the uh, synagogue are watching Jesus, particularly the Pharisees. They want to see what he's going to do. He anticipates them, and he asks them. He looks at them before he does anything. He says, what is it lawful to do on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to kill or to heal? You know, what's the answer to the question? Which hand has the marble, right? Well, according to them, of course, you don't heal because it's work. Not that they could ever heal, you know, but they made a law against it. And it says in the Gospels, Jesus, looking around at them in anger because he was grieved in his heart at the hardness of their hearts. Isn't that interesting? He was was grieved because of their hardened hearts, because their, their hardened hearts had gone so far that they didn't care about this guy. They had no compassion at all. And he was angry with that. And Moses... No doubt, he's, he's becoming like the Lord here. He has the Lord's heart. And he's angry at the hardness of Pharaoh's heart that being told that all the firstborn are going to die, all Pharaoh can do is to get mad and say, get lost. Because he knows it's going to happen. God is nine for nine. Today, 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 and finally too late for him. Okay, well, the last moments of Pharaoh we have recorded for us in the Bible. We won't turn there. You know what they are. But he died. He drowned. And you wonder, you know, it's just recorded later here, as he sees the water closing in on him and he knows there's no escape. What were his last thoughts? You know? What did I gain? Nothing. What did I lose? everything what can i do about it now nothing too late let's pray lord we thank you so much for your word thank you lord for this warning and we do pray lord that we might keep tender hearts toward you lord if there's one voice we want to hear it's yours and we do pray for anyone here this morning And they know that you're speaking to them. Your voice may be getting fainter, but they can still hear it. Oh, Lord, we pray that they would not harden their hearts, but that while it is still called today, they would come to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.